welcome to Medium Cool, a movie podcast. I'm your host, Austin Glidden, and as always, you can find us on social media, Medium Cool Pod, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. That's facebook.com backslash Medium Cool Pod. You can search Medium Cool Pod on Instagram and we'll pop up, or at Medium Cool Pod on Twitter. You can also email us at Medium Cool Pod at gmail.com also if you feel like it review rate subscribe follow whatever the thing is wherever you're listening to this podcast it helps us out if you can just you know subscribe to the channel or you know whatever and the the worst that happens is that we add an episode and then you get to see it so you know it's just the thing you should just do the thing it takes like one little push of a button anyway so uh, all that said, uh, today's episode, I'm going to do this real quick so we can get into the content here. Uh, Joe came back on. We decided to do 2021 movies. Each of us chose one, okay? And uh, I think they're interesting choices. And I don't know why they were the choices, but they are. Um, and because it will be in the title of the show, I will let you in on what they are now. Uh, both are 2021 films, as I said. Uh, one is Lamb. If you're not familiar with that, we will definitely be talking about that in long form. And then uh, also the fil- the uh, James Bond film, Nev- uh, No Time to Die. Uh, that came out recently. Uh, it is the final Daniel Craig movie. Uh, with as James Bond that is so uh, yeah we're going to talk about that that was my pick and uh, I'm pretty excited to talk about these things so since I'm excited about it I'm going to go ahead and jump straight into it Uh, let's go see what Joe's up to All right, everybody I'm here with Joe Shearer I'm not going to let him say hello because he's going to say hello Joe Um, and (laughs) Never do that. <laughs> and uh, never do something like that. We're gonna have uh, we're gonna be doing two 2021 movies because we're in the middle of our 2021 cram. Before we get into Joe's pick, Joe, how's your 2021 cram been going? Because I know that you're getting like boxes of screeners, all the IFJA stuff. What's been going on, man? Yeah, yeah. So I get all the I, all this um, stuff through the Indiana Film Journalists Association, um, and there is a ton. Um, I am not going to get to it. And and this year actually overall has been significantly shorter than a lot of recent or smaller than a lot of recent years. I just haven't watched as many movies this year. Um, I'm at, uh, I'm actually, sorry, I'm going through my letterbox. I'm at 49 movies from 2021 for the year, um, which isn't great because, you know, for example, um last year sorry i'm again i'm going through my list last year you broke 200 dude 202 yeah yeah and then 2019 uh now these these vary quite a bit i was back at 60 in 2019 and then 107 in 2018 152 in 2017 so i generally get a lot of movies from again those are releases from that year and you know, if if you listen to those numbers and you go, what a loser for sitting there listening or watching all these movies, how much money do you spend? The answer is very little because they send these to us. And, um, you know, these are a lot of, you know, of course, Amazon Prime slash Netflix slash Hulu slash whatever your preferred streaming service is. Um, and then, of course, these screeners that they send us. So I'm, I'm very blessed in that way. Um, but you know, this year I haven't had, it, it seems like the season got to a later start. I think COVID has messed with that in a lot of ways. Um, so 
there's a lot of movies out there. A lot of things I haven't seen. I'm working through stuff now today. For example, I, I started watching Come On, Come On. Um, and oh, I had bastard. To, uh, I swear to I swear to fucking God, if you don't <laughs> mail me some of this shit that I don't have, like, come on, come on. Well, I can't. I can't do that. I know you a, can't. I know you can't. A, but the point is, you know, I'm mad about it. But, Just put me in the but, IFJA. You know, right. Well, we're, we're working on that. So, you know, we'll we'll get working on that uh, pretty soon and and uh, and get that rolling. But um, in the meantime, you know, you'll have to suffer through a complete lack of any access whatsoever listen to me if, i don't do that kind of stuff if <laughs> if you don't like come on come on i haven't even seen it but i'm just gonna probably hurt you just so you know yeah i, I mean um, I, I to be quite honest <laughs> to be quite honest i started it at about four and about 15 minutes and i realized i hadn't really i was wrapping christmas presents at the same time realized i hadn't been really paying attention so i stopped it started it over and got about 10 minutes into it and um, and then you texted me and was like, oh, I'll be uh, on there in about five minutes. So jump downstairs right now. That is and not I, what I said, I but that's fine. <laughs> and then it took an, like another 45 minutes before he actually got. <laughs> no, Anyways, the I, first I mean, movie. Seriously. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, <laughs> I dude. though. I, I did start. And I was only about 15 minutes into it. And, and I'll, I'll finish it tonight, of course. So, yeah. Um, but I did get interrupted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it might, you know, that was my own my own deal. I just kind of like spaced it um, that we were recording, um, even though you did tell me this morning. I was like, oh, I'm going to start watching this. And I started watching it and about 10 minutes in. You were like, hey, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. And then um, I was just like, I might as well not try to watch it anymore. I'll wa start back up after. Well, let me tell you this. I I'm so glad that you're only at like you said something like 49 from this year mm -hmm. alone, because I'm yeah. at 43. And okay. I don't even have all the opportunities you have, which Life, makes me see? pretty happy. I don't feel as behind. You're making me feel real yeah. good about it because I can yeah. think of like 10 movies that I want to watch. Yeah. Uh -huh. And I have like available and I need to just like cram yeah. them. But anyways, enough yeah. about that stuff. Let's go ahead and move on. I want to make sure we get to, through this content in a relatively, yeah. uh, you know, normal amount of time and not go yeah. too long on it. But I just wanted to hear how that was going. Um, yeah, I, I just you just made me feel better, so that's good. Yeah, great. <laughs> I feel better I'm about glad. myself. Um, <laughs> so the first movie we're going to talk about today is uh, Joe's uh, pick, and I'll talk a little bit. I'll let you talk a little bit about that too, because I think yeah. it was more of a like WTF kind of a pick. But but we'll talk about it. Yeah, uh, it's a movie called Lamb. Uh, it's Icelandic. It's uh, from this year, of course. It was directed by Vladimir Johansson. And I'm mm -hmm. just going to apologize now if I fuck up all these names. Let's just, just I face mean, they're it they're Icelandic now. names mostly, so, yeah. you know. So I think it's uh, Sion and Vladimir Johansson uh, wrote it. I hope I pronounced that right. And then the cast is uh, Nomi uh, Rapace, which is uh -huh. was in the original Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. She's been in a ton of other stuff. Love yeah. Nomi uh, Rapace. Uh, Hilmer mm -hmm. Snare uh, Guanason. I fucked that up so bad. Uh, and uh, Bjorn Haraldson are the other two in the movie. It's basically a trio sort of a thing. Um, yeah. And uh, it was released September 24th, 2021. Again, this movie is called Lamb. And I, I want to uh, put kind of a disclaimer out there. We are not planning to spoil anything here. However, if you want to know nothing about this movie going into it, fast forward mm -hmm. to No Time to Die. We have all the timestamps in the description. Just move yeah. on because... I say this because the trailer tells you nothing <laughs> when you yeah. watch it. 
Like I've seen so many reviews and so many little like uh, snippets on uh, Letterboxd and elsewhere mm-hmm. where people are like, whoa, this was not at all what I thought. So if you want to go into it completely blind, by all means, I actually don't think it would spoil anything. I think it could almost maybe take away some of the confusion or shock uh, listening yeah. to us talk. But here's another thing. <clears throat> Excuse me. I don't think it's a big deal either because uh, this is a movie... And I'm gonna I'm going to draw comparisons to how we talked about the power of the dog last week, but I think they do it in opposite ways. One's good mm-hmm. at it, and one's not as good at it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Where they don't really spell out anything, mm-hmm. but you learn everything through watching. I just don't yeah. think it spells it out or does it in a way that like the power of the dog masterfully did. Um, but we'll talk about that. I'm going to come back to that. So I say that to say you're also going to basically be getting our interpretations or our observations of the movie, not spoilers. So I'm just letting you know that ahead of time. You have the disclaimer. It is now in your hands. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Lamb, that said, uh, we got to talk about Lamb. Uh, I'm, I'm going to start by reading uh, a few words from film spotting's Josh, Lar- Josh Larson when he wrote the following on Letterboxd. Lamb, about an Icelandic farming com- uh, couple who take a... Uh, to, who? Oh, my God, Joe. This is the worst day of my life. <laughs> this is the worst day of my life. Guys, it's been rough today. I'm just saying. I've been yelling at Joe before we started recording. It's just a big mess. Anyways, Lamb, about an Icelandic farming couple who take in a half-human, half-sheep baby mysteriously born to one of their livestock is deadly serious. And that choice by first-time feature director Vladimir Johansson uh, to not even tiptoe toward anything that could be construed as a wink is why the movie works for Josh Larson. He's speaking here. From the opening image, a deceptive POV shot that subtly turns the tables on what we perceive to be the threat to the stone-faced performers uh, from Numi Rapace and uh, Hilmer Snare Goanason. God damn it. <laughs> um, and they, they're in the leads. The movie proceeds with a slowly, and I mean very slowly, building dread uh, that stifles any laughter. Even when uh, Ada, who is the half-sheep, half-human, uh, as the... Uh, they named that chi- that weird offspring child thing. Uh, <laughs> Ada uh, begins walking around with her lamb's head poking out of woolly sweaters, you know, uh, like a little child. <laughs> and that's I, I basically butchered and summed up uh, Josh Larson's stuff there. Um, and he's clearly a fan. He gave it a four out of five. But I don't share all of Josh's feelings, though, Joe. Uh, But as he said, Lamb is a film about an Icelandic farming couple taking care of their sheep in this kind of isolated uh, Icelandic landscape. It's absolutely gorgeous. If you've ever played the game um, Death Death Stranding, it almost looks like that landscape. It's pretty awesome. Um, But as Larson said, uh, you know, uh, this this is a couple who's a Icelandic farming farmers or whatever. And uh, they're basically helping all of their sheep give birth during this season. This is clearly the uh, the the time of babies, uh, of baby lambs, because you see it multiple times. And it also takes place during the midnight sun season, which is uh, when places like Sweden and Iceland uh, have like 24 hours of sunlight. 
and I'll come back to that here uh, shortly. It's kind of a bizarre experience. Uh, but one of the lambs is born with a half-human, half-sheep body, and uh, with the head of the lamb, though. And uh, the couple bring it up as their own. And it is important to understand that the film is very quiet. It's a slow burn. And I can't even think of a single narrative detail that is offered via dialogue, Joe. <laughs> Nor can yeah, I even yeah. remember any of the music. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, it's a, it's a quiet movie. And everything is subtext or visual storytelling. And though I loved the power of the dog, like I mentioned before, uh, and how it allowed the audience to put the story together, Lamb does not have like a quarter of the substance as Camion's, uh, Campion's Western did. So there isn't yeah. as much to chew on when it does get slow, uh, in my opinion. But uh, the beautiful Icelandic uh, landscape really makes up for it. So understand, you know, we will be talking about Lamb today um, and a lot of the details, but most of it is our interpretation of the film because, you know, we're putting the pieces together just like you will when you watch it. So, Joe, here you go. You ready yes. for this setup? You yes. had just finished this when I texted you about this about this week several days ago. And when yes. I asked you what you wanted to cover, your exact response to me was, quote, I just watched Lamb and what the ever-loving fuck. There's no <laughs> question mark, just a period, because uh -huh. you were so WTF'd, okay? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes. Now, my question for you, Joe, is where do you sit with Lamb today, now having passed a few days? Do you say yay or nay? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm going to recommend that people watch it, but I'm not going to say this is a great film. This is something that, you know, this is a... It's weird because this is a different movie than other WTF types of movies. Yes. I, and there's, you know, I have, you know, I would compare the experience, not necessarily the quality of the movie to a lot of things. So things like Splice from, I don't know, 10 years ago, maybe like 2012 or something. Um, Splice is one that was just like that. Um, the Human Centipede in it, in a very loose sense, in the sense that it's just a very bizarre off the wall kind of concept. And it's just a movie you almost watch out of morbid curiosity. And I think you can watch this movie and in, in, with that in mind, but it's also, it's probably a little more than that. I, I, I'd say it's a superior movie, obviously to the human centipede, which is not by any stretch of the imagination, a great movie, but I, I'm not going to call it a great movie. It's not, you know, it's, you know, as, as I mentioned my, I don't know, what did I say? 49 films I've seen this year. I placed it at 28 on my list, like in, in on a ranked list. So, you know, it's, I would call it a very interesting exper experiment, a movie to watch. And if you love it, great. I did, wouldn't say I loved it by any means, but I was very taken by it in, in a lot of ways. Um, as it mostly as a curiosity, um, uh, Numi Rapasa, I, I kind of become a fan of, you know, you mentioned that, you know, she's done a lot of, you know, more, uh, like mainstream things after the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, the original Girl with the Dragon Tattoo films. Um, she was in, what was she in? Um, she was in one of the uh, alien movies, the... Um, Prometheus. What, what was Prometheus, yeah. And um, sorry, the, the title just no, it's escaped okay. me for a moment. Um, you know, and, and a bunch of stuff. You, you've probably seen her if you've watched movies in the last, I don't know what, eight or nine years. Most of, you know, if you watched a lot of the major ones, you've probably seen her in something. Um, she was in the, the Sherlock Holmes sequel. She, you know, she's in stuff like that. So, yep. um, 
so she's she's somebody that I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, I like her. Um, and she's really the only name actor in this film. Um, and it's, I don't know, it's it's bizarre. It's a bizarre movie. Um, like you said, it's it's oddly slow and stark and bleak. And I guess it's very Icelandic in that way. <laughs> it's very yeah. Icelandic. But um, it, it's, I wouldn't call it engaging or entertaining, but it was something that I kind of just kept watching because I was like, I don't know what they're going to do with this movie. And then they did something that, you know, like we said, we're not going to talk about. And and then the movie was over and I was like, huh, well, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then I was kind of done with it. Um, but here we are talking about it now. So um, yeah. So, so I let's say watch it, but I'm not going to call it a great movie because I don't think it is. Sure. Sure. Well, yeah. So uh, <clears throat> excuse me. First off, my wife would disagree with you about the human centipede, but that's another story. Um, All right. So <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> um, on my on my list, because I did what you did last year, I've been just as I watch stuff, ranking it just, mm-hmm. you know, in a different folder uh, or yeah. letterboxed list, private list or whatever. <laughs> and uh, Lamb is number 22. So not as far off from you. I think we're actually pretty yeah. close in terms of our interest, um, mm-hmm. though I might word it a little differently. And, and we'll we'll kind of work through that as we go. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. This is I want to clarify something you said. You, you mentioned. Mm-hmm. This is a bizarre movie, mm-hmm. and and uh, I don't want that to be misconstrued for a wild movie. If you understand my my yes. difference, because because yes. when you think of like a bizarre movie, I think mm-hmm. of stuff like Holy Motors, mm-hmm. um, or uh, like even something like um, not so much Mandy, but the movie that that filmmaker did before Panos Cosmatos or whatever his name is. Uh, he uh-huh. did uh, Beyond the Black Rainbow was kind of a bizarre experience. You know, mm-hmm. th- th- there are uh, things that are that have really shocking moments. This is not really shocking ever at all, um, with the no. exception of a few things we won't talk about. But even those aren't mm-hmm. shocking. They would just be the most shocking thing. And yeah. one thing I do like about it, and I agree with Josh Larson on, is I love how serious everyone takes it. Because, mm-hmm. like... This is a this is such a ridiculous story. Again, there's a half human, half sheep, like baby slash toddler running around like yeah. little kid through the whole movie as it kind of grows mm-hmm. up a little bit, and they just treat it like it's fine. Now, of course, there are people that come in and address this as being weird, you know, and mm-hmm. the family's like, "Yo, don't judge me," um, and you know, it's it's that kind of a thing. But it's it's interesting. So, I want to start off by saying. It's I, I touched on this a, a bit earlier, but you know it's quiet, it's slow. Um, I don't think it earns that pacing, unfortunately. And and like you said, yeah. it is very Icelandic. I've seen many mm-hmm. Icelandic movies. A lot of them have like a slower pacing. Excuse me, mm-hmm. a slower pacing. Um, I'm not saying all of them by any means, but you know uh, a lot of them that would be something like this. Uh, I get yes. it. Um, and we talked about the power of the dog last week, and we talked about how. You're seeing essentially, much like you did with Paul Thomas Anderson's The Master or any others, you're seeing a series of slice of life moments, a series of uh, scenes that don't always seem like they overlap or or are telling any kind of cohesive story. But when you actually sit back and think about what the film's doing, you can actually put that story together and you actually get something different out of it. And I find it to be an extremely rich, fulfilling experience watching a movie like that. 
I also yeah. talked about my Instagram friend who had sent me a message saying like, yo, we got to talk about this movie. And he was like, I feel like the power of the dog made the audience work too hard. Like, I don't think storytelling should be like this. Mm-hmm. I want to go back to that because I think that argument, I'm not saying I would make it, but I would accept yeah. if someone else said that about Lamb. And my reason mm-hmm. for saying that is though I was overall positive on the movie, it was just barely. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah, yeah, I yeah. actually found it pretty captivating watching it because it was mm-hmm. so weird. But that's almost the extent of it. You know what I mean? And yes. uh, But when it's slow, they will have these little moments that unlock a little bit of backstory that they're not showing you and that they're not speaking. Mm-hmm. But you yes. learn just by putting the pieces together. But it's not like the power of the dog where you can start breaking down what it was like to be a homosexual in the West or what it's mm-hmm. like to block, be an alcoholic, you know, or like, you know, this this kid who's teased every day of his life. Like, you know, we can kind of break those things down and there's actually a lot happening when you think of it in those in those contexts. And this, I feel like all the information we get, we're just kind of left with it and then we sit through it. Do you get what I mean? Like like yes. I'm not chewing the fat and like working through it as I go. I work through it instantly and then I'm yeah. like left with the pacing. So it it did feel longer than it is because it's only like uh, an hour and 46 minutes, it says on IMDb. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not a long movie, um, mm-hmm. but it felt longer to me. And and, and that, that yes. was kind of a bummer. Um, mm-hmm. But I, again, I was never bored. I just I started to feel the length by the end. And of course, the end's pretty cool. We aren't going to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, uh, didn't quite save the <laughs> film for me. Now, I will yeah. say this, though. Despite the, the pacing, I think uh, Numi Rapace is actually quite good. I actually really liked her performance uh, across the board. Uh, I actually liked the performances of the three leads uh, all together. Yes. Um, I thought they were all quite good. But, um, of course, I've always been a fan of Numi Pace ever since I saw her in the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo uh, series. So uh, it's wonderful to see her kind of go back to this sort of thing, unlike the yes. stuff she's been doing, because uh, I, I really like her in these situations. Um, and I also – I'm just – Throwing a few things out here, and I'll let you comment uh, on on some of this as, as you're ready. But um, you know, also let's talk about the always daytime thing. This it's called the midnight sun, where yes. the way that like the Earth is tilted, I guess, like they just get sun 24 hours a day. So like people yeah. will be drunk in the movie, and then they're like, "Man, I gotta go to bed," and I'm like, what "The fuck!" It's like morning time and then they go to bed and then like yeah. everyone's going to bed and I'm like wait what's happening and then I realize oh this yeah. is probably more of a cultural thing I just don't get because it's actually nighttime but it's not you know yeah yeah so that actually was like the opposite of a horror movie <laughs> where I feel like yeah. it would be like no you're on the side where it's night all the time you know what I mean or whatever right. like fucking 30 days of night or something that's exactly what I was just thinking about but yep. like but it's the opposite. So it's like, it's not a horror movie per se, but it's like uh, some people will kind of, if they have to put genre tags on something, it does kind of get the horror mark. But it's all, yeah. it's like, it's even less horrific than like Darren Aronofsky's movie Mother from a few years back. Like this yeah, isn't even yeah. as horrific as that. And I don't even consider that so much a horror movie. But right. Um, but it's awesome if one did see the horror in this movie. Mm-hmm. To think of it as like a daytime horror movie, you know, I mean, like that's <laughs> yeah. so weird. I just like kept watching it, and it just like provided a completely different experience. 
Um, yeah. And in terms of Numira Pace or the pacing or the all the time daytime uh, thing, like, did any of this stand out to you, or were any of these kind of players in in your experience? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, and and just like circling back on that that always daytime thing. If you think about um, uh, the movie Insomnia from a long time ago, the the Nolan film with uh, Robin yeah. Williams, um, that that kind of does a similar thing. Yeah. That, that does a similar thing. Um, and, you know, you mentioned 30 Days of Night, which is the inverse of that. Um, but, yeah, the, um, yeah, all of those are kind of interesting tidbits that they, they are, again, very vague and kind of coy about. It. And it's, it's sort of a naturalistic, I guess, approach where, the, you know, there's no line of dialogue like, oh, yeah, by the way, it's going to be daytime all the time. Um, and this is why. Um, it, it's very much a yeah, this is, you know, it's just like they're dealing with it, right? They, they don't even, like I said, they don't even really talk about it. I mean, it'd be very easy just to overlook it. Um, but this is, that's what this film does in a lot of ways. There's a lot of these little bits that they overlook. Um, there are tidbits about the couple's relationship that the, um, the uh, I should say, well, the married couple um, in the film and then the brother, there are tidbits there that you have to kind of infer things. Um, as to why the brother is, you know, sexually aggressive toward his sister-in-law. There's, you know, there's, yeah. there's a thing there where, you know, and I'm like, Hmm, well, this is interesting. And uh, you, you kind of get the sense that maybe something in the past happened between the two of them. But again, there's not really even a line of dialogue about, well, you didn't have that problem before, you know, it's just very much like, Hey, don't grab me in that way. You know, and then and then the dude kind of gets pissy about it. And then it's just like, well, that's really kind of strange that, you know, that they would do that. But, you know, you, you kind of get some little tidbits there. There's tidbits about the. Um, how do I say it? the the past of of the married couple as well? Yeah, um, their their status, you know, they they do not have children. And then their status of, you know, why that is. Uh, that again, they don't really talk about, but you kind of infer things, um, and it's and then you know the the appearance of this lamb thing <laughs> that shows up, and you know, and I'll I'll say to you um, that I again I went into this movie, I've seen I saw the trailer um, before I watched it, otherwise I knew nothing about it. Um, I knew it it sort of had a reputation as being as one of these kind of strange movies, and I was like, okay, I want to see that. And then, you know, then the film arrived on my doorstep and I was like, yes, I'm watching it. And I watched it and I, I was just like, I don't understand what the deal is with this lamb. What's going on? Is it this? And then I was like, oh, it is this. It's this. It's a it's a half lamb, half human. How screwy is that? But <laughs> <laughs> and, and this movie feels like and the, the funny thing is this movie feels very much like an art film. You know, it feels like one of those serious movies that you're supposed to take seriously that you're supposed to regard with a certain amount of reverence at the skill with which the filmmakers created the film. But it's also this movie about a child, I would assume that has, you know, is altered by uh, CGI to make look like it's got a lamb's head. And, you know, and it's yeah. like, and these people, you know, these people treat it like their child and you're like, what is going on? Does it have like magical powers? Why are they so taken with it? And there's just all these questions and none of them, well, I guess there are a couple of answers at the end, but, well, you know, it's, it's just very odd. But let me, let me say this. Yeah, for example, 
while I was watching it. Uh, you know, we, we talk about my girlfriend quite a bit in this. Uh, I should say I talk about her quite a bit. While I was watching this, she called me or texted me or something. And I was like, oh, I'm watching this movie about, um, it's called Lamb. It's about this couple that gets this half human, half lamb thing. And, and she's like, so does like the husband go and like get with a lamb and has a baby with it? And I was like, you know, I'm really not sure. <laughs> I was like, at this point, I don't know what's happened. Like, maybe this is his secret shame that he laid with a with a sheep, and this is the result. It's like I don't really know. You know, that this was you know a short time. Like, this was after that reveal, um, and you know, I was just like, I really am not sure. I'll maybe I'll tell you later. Um, and then and then what? And then if. If anything, what it actually is is maybe even stranger than than that concept <laughs> to me. Yeah. But um, you know that that's kind of that's kind of the best way I can describe this movie without really giving a whole lot more away. Is just that you really don't know what's going on with anything other than here's a man and a woman. They're married. They live out in the middle of nowhere. They're farmers. They have a brother, and then you know, and they have livestock, and then this weird thing happens, and. Now they have a child with a with a a lamb's head, <laughs> and they treat it like their own. So, I I uh, have a theory. Go ahead, go ahead. And it ties into what you're talking about right now, which is why I'm semi interrupting you. Yeah. First off, the CG lamb head uh, of mm. of Ada is actually pretty good. And yeah, the it's arm, very good. It has like a little wonky uh, lamb mm. arm too. Yeah. But um. The director, uh, Vladimir Johansson, he actually was a, a, a production guy. He actually did like camera and electrical stuff, um, mm-hmm. and he, he worked on a ton of stuff, like a, a big stuff, like uh, uh, Noah from the Darren Aronofsky movie, Oblivion, Game of Thrones. Like, I mean, the list goes mm-hmm. on. He did a lot of uh, kind of bigger stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is his first directorial thing. And what I love about it is that mm-hmm. they do take it so seriously. Yes. Because by the end, I actually took it seriously. Like, at first, I'm like, yeah. there's no way I can do this. Like, I just right. don't think it's, it's going to work. Right. And then it did. But I, I want to touch on what the movie's about. And yeah. I'm so glad that you started with what uh. you just said before I got here. Because people will understand that. I don't think there is a direct answer. And and if you have a, if you think there is a direct reference or answer to what I'm saying being right or wrong, please hit me up on either social media, direct message me, email me, mediumcoolpod at gmail.com, whatever you need to do, because I would love to hear it. Because I, I unfortunately, I had to watch this movie in two sittings, which I hate doing and I rarely do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But we had, we had family stuff this weekend, so I had to watch it. I started falling asleep about an hour in. Which pisses me off, so I stopped it because I didn't want to forget anything. Like I didn't want to miss anything, and then, yeah. uh, like I finished it yesterday, right? And mm-hmm. uh, so my fear is that I, because you have that gap, I'm afraid I misplaced a detail. So that's why I'm saying, mm-hmm. if somebody knows something that I'm not getting, please let me know. But I think this is actually a film about grief. Yes, and I'll tell you why. Yeah. I believe that the couple had a daughter named Ada, mm-hmm. and that daughter died. Now, again, yes. listeners, none of this is in the movie to my knowledge. I don't think this is ever talked about. I'm giving you my theory. Mm-hmm. And uh, it grew up to be 
you know, a small child. She did. Um, and then she died somehow. And then, uh, and my reason for that is when they get the lamb child thing, they name it Ada. Numi Ropace's character takes the half lamb, half human Ada to a burial site of someone named Ada. Yes. And that's the detail I'm forgetting. Like, I don't remember who that was. I don't think they say. I think they're just there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I believe this is a child. And my reason for that is from the moment they get, dude, they're out in the fucking boonies, dude. They're not, there's no, there's no Ikea down the street. Okay. This is like desolate. It doesn't even look like farmland. This looks like volcanic mountainous landscape or something. It looks crazy, like post-apocalypse or something to me. So where are they getting all this shit? Where are they getting this crib? Where are they Mm -hmm. getting, like, all these clothes? I think they just had them because their kid died. Do you see any holes in this, Joe? No, absolutely not. And and, um, Again, I'm not ruining anything because I don't know if this is true. It's just this is... What made it interesting to me? This is what I was breaking down. Yeah, that's that's certainly the, the inference I had. Um, and there, you know, there there's a reference at, at one point. Um, you know, th- this brother shows up, um, and this is after Ada has come, you know, to pass. And they do this thing where they very purposefully don't mention. Hey, by the way if our child looks like a weird grotesque animal person, don't think anything of it. You know, there's, they, they literally like, literally the dude like shows up and he's like, Oh yeah. Um, I slept in the barn last night because, you know, I got here late and you know, such and such. He, he actually witnesses, um, he actually witnesses um, uh, Maria who uh, knew me Rapaz's character is Maria. And uh, he actually witnesses her killing the um biological bio- mother biological mother yeah so there, there's this little this kind of interesting little like subplot where the the mother keeps like hanging around in weird and creepy sort of ways so that you know the uh you know Ma- maria and um and peter peter they peter's know, the brother by the way P- P- oh, P- P- i'm sorry ingvar uh ingvar then ingvar is the husband yeah, right? peter the is husband. yeah I think I think that's right. I can't, I can't remember. Yeah. So real quick, no, Nomi Rapace yeah. is Maria, and then her husband in the movie is Ingvar, and then the uh, brother that was sleeping in the barn that witnesses the murder of right. the sheep mother uh, yes. is Peter. Yeah. Yeah. So so there, there's this kind of like I said, it's, I don't want to call it fun. It's an interesting kind of subplot where the the biological mother that this sheep shows up and is like hanging outside the door of the house and is kind of like giving them the, the eyeball and you know so and then at one point uh Ada disappears and they you know they take off in a panic and find her with her biological mother so Maria then goes out and just straight murders this sheep and buries it and <laughs> and Peter witnesses that and it it's kind of a it's kind of a thing again like it's not like this is some sort of like crazy piece of you know damning blackmail worthy information it's just like you know she killed one of her livestock essentially and he kind of has that and he's like hmm this is interesting why did why did she do that so 
then uh, you know he he she's uh, not aware that he's even there. Um, you know they go in, go to bed. He he sleeps in the barn and uh, walks in, and they're like, "Oh hey!" And there's hugs and stuff. And he comes and sits down. Come in for breakfast, and he has breakfast. And here comes waddling up to the the breakfast table is this you know this child with uh, the head of a sheep uh, of a, of a baby sheep of a lamb, and he's like, "What the hell?" And they're like, oh, oh, yeah, this is our kid. This is our baby. You know, this is our or this is our child. Of course, it's walking at this point. And he's like, what what's going on? Like he's he's kind of our uh, in a lot of ways. He's our kind of um, avatar in this film. Right. Like he's he's playing us like the the what the hell is going on here? Yeah. Well, while they're just like going about their lives. And there, there's even a, a, a scene where he says. Uh, Ingvar even says to him, Hey, don't, don't judge us. Okay. Like if you judge us, if you try to say anything, I'm going to kick you out of the house. But he's like, as long as you do, as long as you like accept what we're doing and the way he says, as he says, the way we're living our life, um, everything is okay. Like stay as long as you want, unless you start talking shit about my kid, then you can leave. That's basically what he says. And so in the meantime, he's like, you know, this is an animal. This isn't a human. And he kind of keeps making those little comments, but then he spends a little time with Ada. And next thing you know, he's like, you know, Ada's kind of a little doll baby. I kind of love her. And, and they're like snuggling and, you know, like going, <laughs> going out and doing stuff. <laughs> and this you know, they're so like, stupid. <laughs> it, does. It's so, it is so just off the wall and weird. It's like, it, it is literally like you, uh, we keep sitting. I mean, I was sitting there whole, the whole time and I'm like, okay, like Peter is like playing a game here and he's going to show up like he's, you know, because there's this time where he's like, Hey, Otto, you want to go out and help me do this? And you're like, Hmm, something weird is going on. And you're like, okay, he's going to go out and like kill her or he's going to take her to someone, but no, they literally go do the thing. Like he's, he's uncle Peter and, and he like accepts this role. And it's like something odd is going on here. Like what the hell? And it's literally just, very normal all of a sudden. And, yeah. and we're, so now we're kind of in this weird space as the audience going, I, I don't even know what I'm supposed to be doing right now <laughs> because it's, because it's all so just mundane and normal um, with just this completely bizarre detail stuck in the middle of it. So um, again, this movie in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and, you know, it, it does look really good. Um, and and mm-hmm. the cinematography by uh, Eli Aronson and the locations are absolutely gorgeous, uh, yeah. and all that's very well done. The production's fine. Um, I you know again the CG uh, head and stuff's fine. Yeah, I never found it distracting. I mean, uh, sometimes it just looks legit. You know, <laughs> like yeah, yeah. If yeah. there was a half sheep, half human, that would be it, right? Yes. But like the super close up stuff, sometimes you can tell, but it's never distracting. Um, there's even a point that reminded me of Midsummer, where yeah, Numi Ropes puts the uh, the flower uh, crown, uh-huh. yeah, uh, and it's just like I, it's I, just... I did want to mention that too. And, and Midsummer is kind of a, I don't know, a, a spiritual cousin of sorts to this movie. I kind of felt like Lamb wants to be a movie like that, and I don't think it quite makes it to that height. But I, but I, I very much felt the influence of of mid films like Midsummer that have that kind of 
that kind of uh, vibe to it. It's very it, important it, to understand that Midsummer is a billion times better than this movie. Um, oh yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> that needs to be known. Um, but yeah, honestly, it, it's hard to kind of talk much further about Lamb. I've given my theory. I think it's actually a film about grief. That made it absolutely. actually very interesting and much more. Um, I, I guess that's part of why I could take it seriously because like this fam's clear family's clearly experienced some level of grief that mm-hmm. this is how they cope with it is by doing this bizarre thing. And unfortunately yeah. that bizarre thing has consequences that we won't talk about. And, uh, yes. you should watch the film just to see how all that plays out. It's only an hour yeah. and 46 minutes, even if it feels a little North of two hours, <laughs> but it's not, <laughs> it doesn't feel like a three hour movie. All right. So you're good. No. Just, you know, give yourself a couple hours and you'll yeah. be fine. Uh, it, it is interesting. I, I ended up, oh. n- not that we really ever do uh, ratings, but I did give this like a three out of five. You know, that, I right, think that's exactly what, what you I did. did. Yeah, I thought you did yeah. as well because mm-hmm. it's above average for me. Like I did enjoy it. It was still interesting, at least. The grief part, especially once that clicked with me, I was like, oh, man, this is, yeah. I still don't have enough to chew on, but like this is interesting. I want to see how this plays out. Yeah. I don't really know how that plays into the end very much. Other yeah. than, um, well, I, we, I'm not. I don't want to say anything about it. But the point is, yeah. Um, yeah, that's something we could talk about sometime. Just you and I. But anyways, yeah. I, I, I think the film's worth seeing. It's just I don't think it's going to blow anyone's mind. I think watching it once is good, and then mm-hmm. you can, if you really love it, watch it more. If not, I can't imagine you like regretting it. <laughs> it's just it's just an interesting experience, and that's about it. Anything? Any last things you want to say, Joe? Yeah, yeah, I, I was, yeah, I, I was gonna say, I, I was thinking that just a moment before you said about like, okay, well, how does that tie into the ending? And I thought, well, there is one, but again, in order to get into that, we would have to spoil certain things that we yeah. don't want to spoil. So we're gonna kind of keep it to ourselves. Uh, there's not, we couldn't even really have a public conversation about it on social media to tell you the truth. But um, you know, it, without you know violating that that spoilers thing, but um, it, it's. Uh, there is a thing to be had. There isn't. There is a. Uh, there is a parallel to be had with with the ending, um, but it's kind of something to think about. But I, you know, yeah, I agree with you. It's worth seeing. It's not a great movie. It is not close to Midsummer's in terms of quality. Let's say, yeah, I'll I'll say that it's. This is strictly vibe for me. Like like the the mood of the film, um, the the just kind of the way that they have these kind of off the wall things happening and and a large number of people in the film, a large percentage of the people in the film just pretend like this is perfectly normal. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but it's, um, yeah, it, it's an interesting film. Yeah. And, and going through that lens of grief is certainly a good way to look at it. Um, and I absolutely think it's, it's um, a large part of the film. Um, but it, yeah, it, it doesn't really go in a direction that I can, you know, that I found to be, incredibly moving or you know insightful or different um it it really just does something even more bizarre to me and just kind of had me going okay well that's odd um i I do think they could have done i do think they could have done something if they had tweaked it a little bit um especially the the subplot with their with their own child if they had been able to tweak that a little bit and had a couple of other details Maybe it could have had some some larger chops, but I, I kind of feel like in the end, this feels like a movie that you know it is. I'll say something of a missed opportunity, 
Um, not completely, because like you said, it has good things. It has very good qualities to it um, and does a lot of things very well. But it, it narratively and, um, you know, for, at a story level too, it, it kind of, it almost feels like it needs another draft or two. Um, not, not to do something silly and dumb, but to just to tie it together in a little better way. Yeah. And, and, you know, as someone who's a production guy, the production of this movie is fine. You know, yes, so, absolutely. so as a yeah. first time directorial debut, just maybe get another writer, you know, yeah. not like this to work. At <laughs> right. least, I know he worked with someone on this, but like maybe a different person. Um, because yeah. yeah, I think, I think like missed opportunity is a good way to put it. Like, yeah. again, I still enjoyed it. First mm-hmm. effort for this guy as a director. Totally great. Like that's a yeah. fine start. I'm interested in at least seeing what you're going to do next. That's all you, that's all you can ask for, for a first time yeah. out. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it, it, I mean, basically, in sum, if you get a chance to see this uh, sometime soon, as far as I know, uh, it is not streaming. I'm going to look that up right now as uh, as we're speaking. Um, but I yeah, don't think yeah. it's streaming anywhere. I'm, I'm pretty sure. It's, yeah, it's not. Um, so, uh, yeah, whenever it comes out for rent or if it streams somewhere, <laughs> definitely feel free to check it out. If you have seen it. Uh, or when you do, feel free to hit us up and let us know whether you agree or disagree with us at Medium Cool Pod. That is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also email us at mediumcoolpod at gmail.com. When we come back, we are going to talk about the latest installment in the James Bond franchise, Joe. Yeah. And I'm very, very excited about this. We'll do that and more when we get back. All right, everybody, uh, we are back to talk about the latest James Bond film, No Time to Die, from 2021. It's directed by Kerry Joji Fukunaga. Uh, this is the guy that brought us, man, what all did he do? He did uh, the first True Detective season, I believe, uh, if I'm not crazy. Yeah, uh, he did um, the other movie, uh, Maniac, or uh, the TV series on Netflix. Uh, mm-hmm. Dude, does he also did Beasts of No Nation. Um, I believe that was the Netflix movie. Um, and mm-hmm. he is, you know, back with No Time to Die, which I absolutely love. Uh, he also did a rendition of uh, Jane Eyre and did Sinombra, which was a big movie uh, the year it mm-hmm. came out back in 2009, like an international uh, film. I am a huge fan of this guy, actually. I love the way his movies look. I love the way they feel. I love his direction, everything, especially seeing as how True Detective Season 1 is like an eight-hour-long movie, and it's better than the vast majority of movies I've seen. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like, this dude has brownie points for me. I forgot he did it when I started watching this, by the way. Yeah, yeah. So anyways, back to the movie here. Uh, that was the director. It was written by Neil Purvis, Robert Wade, and Carrie Joji Fukunaga. Uh, cast, Daniel Craig, uh, Rami Malek, um, Leah Sedu, uh, Ralph Fiennes, Anna de Armas, uh, which people were pissed she wasn't in this more. I don't give a yeah, shit, but yeah. whatever. And uh, some <laughs> other returning cast, including Christoph Waltz. Uh, it was released October 8th, 2021. Normally, I wouldn't do uh, box office, but because this actually has plenty of numbers, I will. Mm-hmm. Uh, for such a new movie, usually I like to do box office when it's been around a while. Uh, mm-hmm. But the budget was 250 to 300 million, and it has already over doubled that in the box office. 771 million in theaters during a pandemic. Holy shit, Joe! That's big numbers. Yeah, yeah. Holy crap! For this time, that's I mean that's good anytime, but this like during now, that's crazy. Yeah. So uh, the basically. 
Bond has left active service and is enjoying a tranquil, uh, tranquil life in Jamaica. His peace is short-lived when an old CIA friend, Felix, turns up asking for help. The mission to rescue a kidnapped scientist turns out to be far more treacherous than expected, leading Bond onto the trail of a mysterious villain armed with a dangerous new nanotechnology. He is able to target individuals via their DNA with airborne viruses like smallpox. So, for example, he could release smallpox into the air and only target those with specific DNA that he has armed yes. this weapon with. Um, mm -hmm. This is both, in my view, a traditional Bond movie and a completely non-Bond movie, okay? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, on one hand, its premise is ridiculous, uh, and its villain is mildly unusual, like most Bond movies, in my opinion. And the yeah. threat is enormous and uh, imminent. Uh, as in all Bond movies, Bond seems like he's the only hope, and here he is as well. However, as a Bond movie, and I think you'll agree with this, Joe, I'm not sure. As a Bond movie, I would argue this is not really very good. Like, as a Bond movie, okay? When you think right. of all of the entire franchise, this doesn't really feel enough like it, and it could leave true diehard fans, like the Sean Connery and Roger Moore diehards, um, you could feel fairly lackluster about this, right? Like, this is a lackluster yeah. uh, edition. But, mm -hmm. in my opinion, what No Time to Die does that hardly any, if any, pre-Daniel Craig Bond movie does is No Time to Die works as a real, proper action-adventure movie outside of the franchise, though it does rely on the prior Craig films to make sense and have any kind of weight. Now, I've mm -hmm. seen people criticize this, that it is, it's not a standalone movie. All of these Craig movies, to some extent, are sequential, yeah. and you need that story. Mm -hmm. I've seen strong criticisms against this. I think that's fucking stupid, Joe. I love it. Yeah. You mean Bond gets developed to an just at least to some extent and I'm allowed to actually care a bit and the films can actually carry a bit of weight wow sounds terrible joe so anyways <laughs> right. as i've mentioned before i think on the show maybe i haven't maybe i just talked to you and other people but either way i have watched every official bond movie as well as never say never again which is the unofficial Sean Connery movie from the 80s uh out of 26 bond films Joe, are you ready for this number? Yeah. Only 12 of them were above one and a half stars out of five for me. Okay? What? Only seven mm -hmm. were four stars or higher. And those mm -hmm. seven films are The Living Daylights, Never Say Never Again, You Only Live Twice, GoldenEye, Skyfall, No Time to Die, and Casino Royale. Casino Royale being the highest with four and a half out of five, meaning none of the films are five-star movies to me. So okay. let me make this very clear, my position on this. I am not a Bond guy, okay? And by the selection right. of Bond movies that I gave you, you can mm -hmm. tell these are probably some of the least Bond movies of the Bond movies. Or they're like yeah. so ridiculous that uh, that I, I just love them. Uh, I do not have nostalgic memories of watching these with my father or whatever, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. That's so... Like, dude, I don't know... I don't know if I can tell you, with the exception of maybe my friend Riley someone who didn't grow up watching Bond with someone they were close to, like their grandfather yeah. or their dad or their mom or whoever. So yeah. I don't have that. I didn't watch these with my dad or anything. I don't care. Like <laughs> I, I'm glad we didn't. Like I don't really – It's it, yeah. I don't need that, right? But 
Having said that, I have watched all of them, and I've watched them all within the last decade, too. I think I did it probably in 2012 or 2013. I think 2012. And uh, I just need that to all be known. I have opinions on the franchise, but this is not clouded by any kind of of nostalgia. Mm -hmm. So all of this said, okay, (laughs) I didn't talk a ton about No Time to Die in terms of setting it up. Um, it's, It's like... Two hours and 45 minutes long, all right? Some people complain about this. I didn't feel it as much, but anybody who didn't like it as much as me, I totally get it. It's fucking long, okay? That's like in-game long, okay? So I get it. Like, Marvel movie long. um, It's not really doing, like, the super diehard, old-school, super cool Bond shit. Like, Mm -hmm. he's mostly vulnerable in this one, and, you know, it's it, it feels more like just a an action adventure movie to me and less like a bond movie. Okay. I get all of that, but Joe, if I'm not mistaken, (laughs) you are maybe not a huge fan. I'll let you decide, but you're kind of a fan of the older bond. Like what bond is like proper bond. Sure. Uh, to some extent, I know that you like skyfall. I know you like casino Royale. I know you're fairly Mm. indifferent on, on specter and, and, uh, and quantum Mm. of solace, which I think most people are. Yeah. But where does No Time to Die sit with you? Because I was texting you yeah. at one point while you were uh-huh. watching it, which is what yeah. sparked me to want to watch it. Um, <laughs> and, and I've never actually had a chance to really talk with you about it. After you yeah. watched it, and now uh-huh. having sat with it for a while, though I doubt you've thought yeah. about it every day, you know, <laughs> right. uh, where where does this movie yeah. sit with you? Yeah. Yeah. It It was strange to me. So uh, I I think my answer has to be as kind of long as as your almost your introduction um, to to say while I I did kind of I did kind of grow up watching Bond movies um, I, I love your um, you know your statement about watching it with someone that you're close to um, my first Bond was Pussy which I watched in the theaters with my dad. Um, I'd never seen a James Bond movie before. And I was like, that was pretty cool. Um, but I, it's not like I rushed out and watched all of them. I have not seen all of them. Um, I don't think I've seen any of the Connery Bond movies now that I think about it. Um, not certainly not. Well, at least not, you know, start to finish. I've, I've absolutely seen, you know, snippets and, you know, uh, during, during the, you know, the, the eighties and nineties where movies just would be blasted out on TV, you know, randomly and you kind of are are more captive in watching them. Um, I, you know, I picked up bits and pieces of them here and there. Um, but Roger Moore was my original bond. Um, I kind of suffered through the Timothy Dalton kind of films. I love the Pierce Brosnan movies for the most part, uh, as bad as they kind of are now looking back, they're kind of movies of their time. Um, and that's, that's kind of what's fun about James Bond is that they're all, all of the movies of their time in some, you know, to some extent, uh, and and then the the Daniel Craig era for sure is is as well um, taking that kind of harder edge and uh, you know making Bond more of a character which I I've liked to, you know uh, on the whole I've liked that they made him more of a character um, this film in particular I you know I watched it and I was like okay I saw it and I didn't care about it as much as I thought I would um, I was just kind of like okay I it didn't pull me in it didn't engage me as much as I as I wanted it to. Um, I, I, you know, I do like, I do share the sentiment with you that 
making Bond a character and not just the archetype of James Bond. Criticizing that is pretty stupid, I think. Um, I really love how they've handled him, you know, as a as an overall character. But having said that, he spent a lot of time in those movies trying to not be James Bond and trying to retire and like, I'm going to get married to this beautiful woman that I'm in love with and she's dead. Uh, and <laughs> now I have to just be, a, now I've got to be James Bond again because I'm sad about it. And, and that's fine. You know, the, the self-loathing aspect of the Bond character has taken a lot of the forefront and, and that's very cool actually, but it kind of felt like a lot of that rehashed in this movie. It was like, as we start, oh yeah, James Bond is off the grid again. He's not, he's retired and he's in love and something pulls him back in. It's not the depth of, of his love at this time, but it's but it's that specter, if you forgive the, the pun, of his previous love, um, whom he really, uh, uh, what was her name? Uh, Vesper Lynn from, from Casino Royale that he never really got over her death and her trail of him and all of that stuff. Um, but at the same time, it, it felt, with, with Leah Seydoux's character, it felt kind of strange and it felt almost like a disservice to her character. Like if, if James Bond is in love with her and is like, I'm leaving my life, I'm leaving the double O life to settle down with you and, you know, and, and be with you. But I'm still hung up on this other chick that killed that I, you know, that died because she betrayed me and, you know, three movies ago or four movies ago or whatever it was. It it kind of felt in a narrative sense, it felt off to me. Um, and it made me kind of not care about it as much. Um, and, and I didn't, I mean, and I did enjoy kind of the maturity of, of her character. I don't remember her name. And the place I'm at doesn't even list her in the cast. Uh, it uh, is uh, uh, Madeline. <laughs> Madeline, yeah, Madeline. Um, she she had this, you know, and she makes these these comments about you know you have to get past her if you're going to be with me, you have to learn yeah. how to do this. And but she's at the same time she's pretty supportive about it. But then there's just all this other stuff flying around that kind of you know just we're kind of tossed in the middle of. There's a you know a, a subplot with Felix Leiter again, which. Again, I I welcome you know. There's um, the uh, this other agent uh, Anna, uh, played by Ana de Armas Paloma is her name. Um, there's the part with Sa- with uh, Safin, uh, Rami Malek's character, um, and then and then the other the new double O uh, Nomi, uh, you know, is in here, and, and it's like oh, and she's like oh, I'm taking your place. I'm double O seven, and you're an old man, and I'm gonna and I'm a badass, and I'm like oh, that's cool, but but in the context of everything else, it just felt like a lot stuffed into this movie and it it kind of and, and maybe it was me as much as anything you know it could have been even my mood but it just pulled me out and I was just kind of like okay there's all this stuff it didn't not much of it really coalesced together for me enough for me to love it um and then I and then when it was over I was even just thinking about the action sequences I was like oh, which one really stood out there wasn't really one that stood out as just being great to me the end was the ending scene, you know, the, the climax had, you know, it had a lot of emotion and it had a lot of, um, you know, like there were stakes to it, but it ended up being a lot of like running around and shooting. And, you know, it, it wasn't as personal as it, as it should, as most, I guess most Bond films kind of feel in the climax. Um, it, I kind of felt like maybe it should be, there should be a little more personal stuff to it. It, it was a lot of like, 
uh, and again, I don't, this is a movie, you know, we don't want to spoil necessarily, but it's a, it's a, um, there was a, for, for what the stakes were, um, it felt, uh, I felt cold watching it. You know, I, I kind of knew what was happening and, and it was leaving me cold more than, more than it was making me feel what I was supposed to feel. Yeah. 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 This is, let me just say this, man. <laughs> I jokingly said to you in text, uh-huh. as soon as I started, I was like, I like mm-hmm. the opening scene. I hope I love uh-huh. this movie, Joe, just like in spite <laughs> of you. Yeah. Because we hadn't talked about it, but you did say that it kind of left you cold. I think that was about, yeah. for the all intents and purposes, that's about all you said. Mm. And I watched the opening sequence, and I actually really love the opening sequence so mm-hmm. much. And it's not, you're right, it's not It's not this big, grandiose Bond thing. Again, in Casino mm-hmm. Royale, we get the parkour, big, yeah. you know, opening sequence. In, in Skyfall, we get the big train sequence where they're using, like, dump trucks and stuff on the train. You know what I mean? Like, like <laughs> yeah. it's ridiculous. This movie does yeah. not have a lot of that. But it's mm-hmm. like... I thought it was fucking awesome. <laughs> like, like all of the, everything that's happening again, I, I agree uh, is, uh, I mean, yeah, it's just not really great in terms of like the, the bond. Yeah. Whatever. Uh, like yeah, the, the mythos, I guess. The, yeah. The, like the, the conventions of bond. Yeah. The, the template, so to speak, but conventions is even better. Yeah. But yeah, I'm I'm like I'm like a bona fide and proud Bond heretic. Like I don't care. <laughs> I, I'm not a naysayer. I just watch them and like what I like. Like I I, yeah. I mean I I wanted to like more than I did. Uh, if you mm-hmm. haven't seen Sean Connery ones though, you mm-hmm. should watch Goldfinger, which is of course one Absolutely. of the the greats. And it's even though I told you my top seven because of the ones that are over four, Goldfinger's mm-hmm. right. It's number eight. It's like right below. So it would be in my mm-hmm. top ten. Though I want to say this quick caveat, my favorite Roger Moore, and it's the only one I like, is the man with the golden gun. I just want yeah. that to be known. Christopher Lee's in it. It's great. Yeah. So anyways, <laughs> that was a tangent. My apologies. Uh, but yeah, I thought like the the entire opening sequence through the credit sequence, you know, with the mm-hmm. song, um, yeah. the whole the whole deal, uh, which I thought the song was good. Um, I thought like the, int- the, the I mean, I don't know. I, I think most of the... Uh, intro credit sequences which have become kind of like a staple in the series uh, quite frankly mm-hmm. i think most of them are kind of like whatever like i don't really give a yeah. shit like i don't think they're yeah. that cool um but yeah. this one's as good as anything else i guess um i love that this one because every every bond movie you have like casino royale i'm talking about uh when i talk about bond movies at this point i'm talking about the daniel craig uh mm-hmm. quintology or whatever you want to call it like the five sure. movies um, starting with, ow, I just bit my tongue. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but starting with Casino Royale, uh, we start a story. We have a man that is not James Bond yet in terms of how we think of James Bond, the Connery, the Roger Moore, the cool, the suave. He's not that he's just a double O and he's doing shit and he's kind of right. snarky and whatever, but he wants he's a blunt instrument as him says in, in that film. Yeah. And he yeah. wants to fall in love with Ava Green's character, right? Mm-hmm. And again, I, I don't really care about spoiling those movies because you should just watch sure. them. But anyways, when Ava Green dies, which is essentially the entire crux of like the entire series of Daniel yeah. Craig movies, um, I that's my favorite Bond movie, period. I just think mm-hmm. that one is so great. Yeah, I don't think it's too. perfect, but I'm just saying like with the Bond movie... Like you gave him a reason to be the asshole, 
mm-hmm. like like he's less of a misogynist than like every other Bond, but like. <laughs> It almost like I'm not saying it justifies it, but it like gives him a reason to be that because he knows if mm-hmm. I fall in love with someone, they will die. So I need yeah. to just fuck people frivolously mm-hmm. and not care about them afterwards and just mm-hmm. like move on and you know to each their own. But this is like he but he wants love. And mm-hmm. and that's pretty much the only good thing about Quantum of Solace, which I don't hate actually. I'm still positive on that. I just don't think it's great. Yeah. Uh, I think sure. I give it like a three out of five or something. Like it's it's lower still. Yeah. But like uh, that that villain, I, even though I love that actor, can't remember his name off the top of my head right now. But uh, like that villain wasn't great. Uh, but mm-hmm. the the purpose of that film is him still dealing with the loss of Ava Green. I remember that. Yes. Mm-hmm. So that's fine. It does its purpose. Skyfall, which the whole reason I watched Skyfall multiple times because I saw it. I criticized the film, gave it a three and a half out of five, criticized it, and got so much shit for this by Bond <laughs> fans. I have never gotten this much backlash. So I'm talking to JB, who's been on the show. I think I brought this up last time he was on. And uh, he's a huge Bond fan, more of a Sean Connery guy, but a big Bond fan. And he goes, uh, he's like, well, what other movies do you like? And I'm like, I actually haven't seen any other than like Pierce Brosnan some of his, and then, like, all the Daniel Craig movies. He's like, well, then you can't talk. You know what I mean? Like, they that he didn't say that, but, like, basically it was like, you haven't even, you don't even know who Bond is. So right. I took that as a challenge, and I watched every one of those fucking movies. <laughs> like, yeah. I literally marathoned him over three weeks, like, every night, watching, like, one, two, three of them. And just yeah. uh, my buddy Riley and I, we just knocked him out like a marathon. And my point mm-hmm. is, like, Skyfall is is good. I need to rewatch it. Um I put it in the 7 as 4 and above. That's more of an anticipated. Like I, I could see it going a little higher. Um yeah. but Javier Bardem's villain is cool and um the Home Alone house at the end is cool. Um uh, yeah. yeah, like like all those things it looks brilliant. <laughs> like it looks so good visually. Yeah. Um and it and it's cool. But what does it do? It it of course he deals with Ava Green in every movie, which is part of probably what makes you feel like it's a rehash. But when I think of when I think of Quantum of Solace, I think of him dealing with Ava Green and Skyfall's him dealing with himself. Mm-hmm. So he's dealing with this old house, you know, that means something to him and his family, and he's you know blah blah blah. All of this gets personal. That's Bond personal, right? Yeah. And then you get Spectre. Now what this does. And I actually like Spectre. Quantum of Solace is actually my least favorite. A lot of people think Spectre is uh, their least favorite. I don't think it's a good, particularly good movie. I just think it's entertaining. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but Spectre, what that does is now that Bond has dealt or has um, tried to find some peace with Ava Green and he's tried to find peace with his own life, now they're presenting mm-hmm. a big bad that he has to overcome. And he's still dealing with these other things that he's bringing in with it, and it's progressing. Mm -hmm. But now they're developing Blofeld and this huge Spectre operation, right? Mm -hmm. So I like that. Again, much like Quantum of Solace, it's almost like the road to get where we need to go. It's not really a great film. It's convoluted, just like No Time to Die is and most of Bond movies. (laughs) They're all kind of convoluted. And then we get to No Time to Die. And Mm -hmm. what I like about this is Inspector, that's weird. When I say inspector, it's a word, inspector. But anyways, in the movie Spectre, uh, Christoph Waltz's Blofeld is a villain 
that James Bond finally sees as as an equal or as a, a true challenge, right? Yeah. But then what do we get in No Time to Die? We get a villain that one-ups that villain, right? Yes. And directly mm-hmm. ties into a character that's been in a few movies and is essentially putting Bond in a no-win situation. So when I look at the actual... One can call it shoestring uh, story arc if you want. I don't really care. But when I look at the narrative going across all five films, I think all of these films serve a purpose. And I think uh, No Time to Die actually works really well as a finale. Okay. Mm -hmm. But again, I don't think it's a great Bond movie. But when I just look at the narrative, I really liked this movie. I liked how (laughs) kind of like set like uh, reserved the action sequences were. I loved how they looked. Because yeah. it's Bond, you can like give a certain level of suspension of disbelief for some of how like how ridiculous some of these ideas are. And I know some yeah. people get hung up on the Daniel Craig stuff because it's putting it in a certain level of reality that a lot of the other Bond movies were not. Like mm-hmm. it's set in a more realistic, uh, you know, setting. Much like say Nolan's Batman put Batman in a bit more of like a a, a more. Uh, um, mm-hmm in touch reality, right? Like something we can like yeah. grasp. So the yes. Craig stuff does too, but it still has this ridiculous plot shit. That's in like fit for mm-hmm. an older movie, you know, like, like yeah. targeting people through DNA. Maybe this shit exists. Like, I don't fucking know. It sounds yeah. super sci-fi to me though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But all this to say this long diatribe about bond. <laughs> the point is, I will stand up for no time to die, and I need to rewatch Skyfall. Uh, but no time to die is easily a top three for me. That's how much I liked it. It's only a four out of five movie because I don't, I still don't think it's perfect or love it. But man, like when I see movies like this that have like a certain level of story, like there were certain things, like the back and forth between. Um, what's her name? Uh, Leah Sidhu and uh, Madeline in the movie and Bond. Yeah. The back and forth with them, with like the hot and cold back and forth. Yeah, you know, I I get tired of that in like every movie. Like, you know, yeah, um, yeah. and 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 uh, Rami Mal- Malek. It's like, is he that interesting as a villain? Of course not. He has like a he right. has like a cool like layer, but mm-hmm. like, uh, he's not that cool. But here's the thing: I will also argue. Think about the Nolan Batman movies. Yeah, I'm still talking, everybody. You just listen up. All right. <laughs> so think of the Nolan Batman movies. Think about Scarecrow in the first Batman Begins, right? Mm-hmm. He's not that interesting of a character, let's be honest. He is mm-hmm. there to give the new Batman a villain to go after, right? It, the whole point of that is it's an origin story, and they needed mm-hmm. a villain that was enough of a threat but not they didn't want to blow their load with like some major huge villain like the Joker, right? So you put someone yes. like Scarecrow, who's awesome. But mm-hmm. what do we how much development does that character really get? It doesn't fucking matter because it's not about right. that. And that's yeah. what we get with Rami Malik, I think, is we get that mm-hmm. scarecrow level villain where it's like, no, he's not that developed. No, mm-hmm. which I don't think any of them really are. But, you know, you have someone like Le Chief from Casino Royale who fucking cries blood. That's so yeah. awesome. So, like, right. like, like Rami Malek has a mask, which I think is very cool. But still, you know, he just, like, wears a mask and yeah. has a weird face. Like, that's fine. Whatever. But he doesn't do much. He's just a very soft-spoken guy. There's even a mm-hmm. point where, I'll just say this very vaguely, he kidnaps someone. And then mm-hmm. that person kind of runs away and he goes, or tries to run away. And he goes, 
are you saying that you do not want my help? And they're like, no. <laughs> and then he just lets them go. Like that yeah. was like super weird. Like there are some like weird things like that. And narratively it ends up playing out fine, but like there's some, yeah. some weird moments, but I just, I guess my point, and I'm going to pass it back to you with this. This is more of a general bond thing, um, yeah. but I would like to try to keep it focused on this the best you can. Yeah. Is this really any that much worse than most Bond movies? Like, like are, are the yeah. qualities of this, the villain, uh, the mm-hmm. lair, the narrative, the gadgets, like, be honest, and you can say it. it, it is worse. That's I don't care. I just want your honest opinion. Is this sure. really that uh, much worse or whatever? I, I wouldn't say no. I would say no. It's not. I, I wouldn't even say not even that much. It's, it's not worse. It's not, you know, if I don't know if, if I'm like about the, just the bond movies I've seen, um, you know, again, not, that's not all of them, but a fair number of them. Um, it, I mean, it's middle, maybe upper middle even, um, for me, um, it's, it's not, it's not terrible by any means. you know, like I said, it, it, the, again, this feels like something that it feels like something they were trying to do to make it different. Um, they, you know, they they reuse the the convention of you know of this bond wanting to not be in the shit, so to speak. But you know, and the the action sequences were not as completely out there and bombastic as the, as some of the more recent films. Which again is doesn't necessarily bother me. Uh, I I don't need him doing impossible stunt upon impossible stunt. Um, uh, you know, if we're going back to, to Casino Casino Royales, I I mean I might agree with you. It's the best one I've seen. I think uh, by a by a pretty wide margin. Um, most of the action sequences in that movie, they're certainly how do I say they're they're kind of in, kind of hyper realistic in some senses where it's like, okay, no person in their right mind is going to do any of this stuff, you know, in this, you know, that he's doing this climb that giant crane. So, you know, you talk about the parkour sequence at the beginning, like, of course that's insane. Nobody is really doing that. <laughs> yeah. But except for the stunt, you know, but, yeah. But in the, in the context of, of the movie, I'm talking about like, if there's a real James Bond and, you know, we're no, talking about the Batman thing. Yeah, yeah. If, if there's a real James Bond out there, he's not doing that. You know, like it's just not happening. Like nobody is that nuts, but in the context of the, of the Bond mythos, the universe or whatever you want to call it, it's like, okay, it felt more, even more realistic than a lot of them, you know, than submarine cars, shooting missiles <laughs> and lasers and shit. You know, yeah. it's like, that's what some of the, the more, you know, the, the previous Bond movies were doing, like, they were just like, okay, let's just think of the coolest gadgets we can do and the most insane action sequences we can do. And let's slap it in there and let's have some kind of little nugget of a story where a bad guy wants to blow up the entire world or, you know, take over the world or kill lots of people, you know, just, or something insane. And, you know, and Bond has to stop them. It's, you know, it's, in terms of that, it's, I, I think it's more sophisticated. It's much more sophisticated and, you know, and it's, it's a better movie than a lot of those, but, and, you know, and, and like I said, I don't need that in my bond movies necessarily. I, I like a more, a, a slightly more grounded bond. Um, 
I, I kind of feel like where, where the movie goes wrong for me, it goes off the rails a little, a little bit is just, is where is just how much stuff they're trying to tie in, yeah. how much stuff they're throwing in all at once. And it, you know, and it, you know, two hours and 45 minutes, it's long. I mean, in all Bond movies, again, are long. This is longer than most, but it's still so much stuff. It, it just feels like there are five or six really interesting tidbits. If they had, if they had saved one of these for a different movie, you know, one or two of these for a different movie, this could have been an absolute classic for me. Um, but as it is, I'm just like, okay, well, I kind of like some of that stuff. I kind of just didn't care about some of this stuff um, in the end, just because of the way it was presented and the way it, you know, the way it developed it, it kind of felt like a throw in. Um, I, I kind of felt like the, the know me stuff really felt like a throw in. Um, you know, there was a lot of speculation as to who the next bond will be. And people were saying, Oh, what if it was a woman? Hey, what if it was a black woman? And I was like, well, I'm totally cool with that. Like, that sounds good to me. But the way it was done here, I was just kind of like, okay. Um, I kind of felt like they were throwing that out there rather than letting it, you know, letting it be organic. And it it Um, also sucks that uh, Lashana Lynch, who played Nomi, who does a mm-hmm. fine job, but I cannot yeah. see her carrying a movie, unfortunately. And it's, it's yeah, nothing no. against her. It's I don't know if it's the way it's directed, the way she's written. Um, yeah. But uh, I'm all about a female Bond. I'm all about a black yeah. Bond, male or female. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. I was always about Idris Elba, which was uh, always mm-hmm. tossed around. As a, I think he'd be yeah. great. Um, yeah. But yeah, there's there like whoever it is, you're going to have mm-hmm. spotlights on you if you're doing something different. And you need to make sure mm-hmm. this person's on it. And yeah, I don't yeah. know if Lashana Lynch is the person. Prove me wrong, James Bond people. Sure. Like I'm happy to be wrong. Uh, just yeah. based on this outing, uh, I would mm-hmm. not put my eggs in that basket yet. Um, yeah, but continue if you have more to say. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, no, but um, uh, you know, th- this just you know there was there was just a lot of a lot of things going. You know, there was conflict between M and Bond, um, which you know is not anything new. Um, Q kind of comes in late. We learn a couple of fun little tidbits about him, um, it, but it it kind of it, but it almost feels like, in a sense, sort of a greatest hits. It's almost like a we're moving back, we're moving forward with this in this different direction, but some sprint. But we got to sprinkle in these greatest hits, kind of like when Q shows up. It's kind of like, I don't know, like he he's there for a moment earlier in the movie, and then it's like I don't know, halfway through the movie, he's there. And then he's, uh, it's a little different role for him. You see him outside of the normal, um, you know, like out of outside of the lab, which, you know, again, I'm fine with, but it just felt tacked on and strange. And, you know, I was kind of like, okay. Um, even the stuff with Blofeld, I was like, okay, this feels like, I mean, obviously it's a, it's a callback to the previous movie, but it is also like, well, it kind of feels shoehorned in also. Um, let me, let me say something about just, that. Sure. Because I 100% agree with you, even though I love that scene. Mm-hmm. But I agree with you. Uh, yeah. That that part. So this is this mm-hmm. is what Nolan wanted to do with Batman. I'm actually drawing more comparisons now on the spot yeah. with Batman. Yeah. But Nolan didn't kill off Scarecrow, of course, because Batman doesn't murder people. So right. Scarecrow is still alive all the way to the third movie. Mm-hmm. Had Heath Ledger not died in real life, the Joker was supposed to come back in the third yeah. film, and then you have Bane, right? So if right. you don't fucking kill your enemies, you can do cool shit with them later. And yes. so I was so stoked when for the first fucking time in a Bond movie, I'm pretty sure, 
This character uh, doesn't die. It's not the first time. But my point is, like, Blofeld's alive. <clears throat> and then the scene with him feels so exclusive. You know what yeah. I mean? Mm-hmm. And it seems like kind of a means to an end in, in the full yeah. narrative in terms of like to get story plot. Po- it's like an exposition or something. I don't know. But but it's not yeah, ex- yeah. it's not direct exposition. It's like exposition about Leah C. Du and, and or, uh, sorry, uh, Madeline and uh, Bond's wow. relationship. And it's a, a thing between Nomi and Bond. And, you know, like it's almost like it's developing yeah. each component, not like furthering the story as much because. I mean, it does, but you're, I agree with you is what I'm getting at. But, but here's the thing though. Like I still loved that scene. And I think, I think that's the best thing I can give any Bond movie right now is that with the exception of Casino Royale, I don't think any of them are particularly good movies really. Yeah. So it comes down to like what entertains me and what keeps my interest. And this movie had a lot of those. I agree, dude, this is very convoluted. Mm -hmm. There's a former villain. There's a new villain. There's a new 007. There's CIA mm-hmm. agents. So it's not just like yeah. Majesty's Secret Service, right? It's right. American CIA. Yeah. You have like Bond who's off the grid. You have mm-hmm. uh, this like French love interest. <laughs> you know, like, dude, there's yeah. a lot. And there's more, which I won't blow the secret, but it's like there's more right. to the French love interest that in, like mm-hmm. brings out even more convoluted details. And yes. what's crazy to me is I still see it as a triumph because they pulled it off enough where I never got lost. Now, are okay. these things developed? A mm. lot of them aren't really. They're just there and <laughs> you're supposed to go with it. And you know what? It earned that for me personally, but I get it if uh-huh. it doesn't for others. I was able sure. to go for the ride. And yes, dude, it gets cheesy, especially like the end because of yeah. what we know in real life. I'll just say it very vaguely like that. When we see yeah. the end, yeah, it's real cheesy. And, and you know, whatever. But it's I think it's a good way to end the Daniel Craig franchise because we mm-hmm. all know that this is his last Bond film. So, you know, there's like yeah. kind of a cheesy, neat little bow kind of an ending. And that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, you know, I, I, I think speaking kind of to what are bouncing off, I guess, of, of what you were saying. There are two things that I really like, and I might pass this off to you after I, if I ever get done. Um, the emphasis on his inability to build relationships throughout his whole Craig series, but especially it's back here um, because it's too dangerous, but he wants one. Um, I actually really like that constant battle, and I think it's done best here personally. So it's like even though we saw it a lot in Quantum of Solace and we see it in some of the other ones, I think it's like done best here. So I kind of just like call foul on the other movies and like give this one the credit. I don't know if that's fair, but it's, it reminds me of uh, the movie, the American, the George Clooney movie that came out back in 2010. I don't know if you ever saw that. It's really amazing. I really love that movie. It's basically like a, a Western set in Europe um, with George (laughs) Clooney. That's like, it's not a Western though, but I mean like it feels like a Western, even though it's just like in Italy and um, uh, George Clooney plays uh, a hitman that's trying to get out of the business. And he has one more job to do and they'll let him out. And he's building, he's basically building a gun, which is like Mm -hmm. a crazy idea, but he's building a sniper rifle for another Mm -hmm. hitman to come get because it needs to be there. So he has to build it. So he's getting all the, he's getting washers and he's like building all of these. He's like building a gun, which is crazy. And it's fucking awesome, this movie. But a lot of what it deals with 
is he's a hitman. And the mm-hmm. opening sequence of that movie, he's in love with this woman and, you know, they have sex or whatever. And then they're like walking around and someone tries to kill George Clooney's character because mm-hmm. he, he did a hit somewhere and now he's hiding out. That's the whole point. But he brings this woman with him. And this guy tries to kill George Clooney. Clooney kills him, but he can't let her live now because she's seen this murder. So he has to kill this person that he's falling in love with. And that's yeah. the opening sequence, like the very opening. And so it's like, I, I, I'm, I'm a bit of a sucker, I guess, for that, because that movie also doesn't have any kind of complex narrative. Like, it kind of does the thing. But this one, the, the other thing I love about all of that, the, the whole reason I bring that up is I prefer a vulnerable Bond, personally. Like, this movie, yeah. he's, like, definitely the most vulnerable, I would say, because... In Casino Royale, he's like this smart-ass, like, Bondy guy. And then when Ava Green mm-hmm. dies, of course, he's vulnerable, but that's, you know, toward the end of the movie. And then mm-hmm. in the later movies, he starts to become Bond out of necessity to cope with the fact that he will never have the thing that he wants most in his life. So in by the fifth movie, he's, like, super vulnerable, especially when you have a villain that's putting him in situations mm-hmm. that essentially he can't win. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know... Uh, I can't I can't actually say the next part of my note because it's a bit of a spoiler. But the point is, um, I just, man, I just thought that the, I, I, I don't even feel like I'm even making arguments at this point. I just, <laughs> for some reason, really liked this. And I don't know why. And I, this is what's annoying to me, Joe. I hate that. Uh-huh. I'm afraid people are just going to look at me and go contrarian. And and the funny thing is, like, a lot of people like this movie. I mean, dude, $771 yeah. million. Dollars, uh, not That doesn't mean everyone liked it. But, uh, I mean, it's overall positive ratings kind of everywhere. Not great, Mm -hmm. but, like, positive, you know. I'm not the only one. But, like, most of my friends (laughs) did not like this movie, I feel like, that are more vocal (laughs) about it. So I feel like I'm being a contrarian. But to be honest, this is just my kind of action-adventure movie. And I don't mm-hmm. I don't like Bond anyway. So it's just like the less Bond it is, like the more I'm into it. But I think all your points are good. Um, before I move on, though, how do you feel about uh, the vulnerable Bond aspect of it? That's yeah. kind of what I want to tie. Like, do you prefer a vulnerable Bond or do you prefer like the cool hip Bond? I, I, I kind of feel like there's room for both. Um, and I, I like... I like that. I love that part of the movie. Um, I, I don't dislike it at all. Um, I, I feel like it's a fun twist. It's, it's an unusual situation to be in. Uh, and, you know, and, and we've talked about it. This is uh, a Dan Craig staple has been that he's very conflicted and he, you know, in, in Casino Royale, we see him very vulnerable and then he kind of becomes the Avenger out of that, you know, the avenging angel kind of thing. Um, and, you know, and like you said, that it kind of goes through the, the rest of the films that, you know, she, you know, the, the Vesper Lynn ghost is there for him and it kind of drives him in a lot of ways. And, and I, I enjoyed that. I, I, you know, I enjoyed that through all the movies and here it's, it's here, it kind of, to me comes to a screeching halt. I guess it's because of the nature of, of that relationship. I feel like they don't do enough to you know they and they they do the they pull the convention of oh i'm in love with her i have to leave her and then we meet up later and we have this weird relationship and it's like we're supposed to want them to get back together and all that stuff and i'm like okay i get it (laughs) but but at the same time it's like 
you, uh, you know, you, you talked about earning it and you talk about earning it a lot. Um, and, and I feel like it didn't earn that, um, that level of connection. I, I felt like if they, if they had, if they dropped some of that, you know, they, they're throwing some of these kind of movie making conventions, you know, scripting conventions at them, that, that separating them and then bringing them back together, you know, that those sorts of things are what those sorts of things are what pulled me out. I think more than anything they keep it from being, you know, if, if they had been together and he's pulled back in and he's like, look, I got to leave. I got to go be James Bond again. And she's like, no, don't leave. You know? And then there's a, a connection with her later where she's pulled in. Then I, you know, I, I feel like it's a different story, but I kind of feel like the way they, they pull all that stuff in, you know, they're, they're dealing with him being older. They're dealing with him um, leaving her and then coming back and meeting her again. And then they're dealing with him and his feelings on, uh, MI6 and, and how they're changing and they're dealing with, you know, of course now the villain is involved too. And then there's, um, you know, the, the new 007 and how they have to interact. And it just, and then there's, then there's the, um, Anna the Armist character who kind of comes and goes, um, uh, you know, and it's just like, there's just all of this in, in here. And I'm just like, this is just, this, it just feels like too much. Uh, he, James Bond is a CIA agent essentially for a, a short time in this movie. And again, it's like, that's a, that's a fun thing to explore that they don't really explore. They kind of do it. And then, you know, M's like, Oh, here's the CIA agent now. Huh? And it's like, you know, and then that's like the last they say of it. And it's kind of weird because that almost feels like light treason in a way, <laughs> you know, if, if you're a, an agent for your country and then you go become an agent for another country, that seems problematic in a lot of ways. And they don't really address that. Um, even though, I mean, even though, you know, you know, England, the Great Britain and America are allies, you yeah. know, and I think still, yeah, it's I, weird. <laughs> I, I think the, the reason for it, though, I do agree with you. That's one of the convoluted yeah. things that is not developed. I agree. Yeah. Because people, because it's Bond, they just kind of like let it slide, you know, and they sure. do that in like every fucking movie. But still, it happens <laughs> right. here. Yeah. But I think part of that, too, is because he has information on the british government so in mm -hmm. in a way he's almost holding a hostage and yeah. just because he finally does the right thing to make them look good they just let him go so it just it all still yeah. falls back to you get a right. pass uh that kind of a thing uh but that's a good point that's fair yeah i, I can't yeah. even yeah. argue that if i wanted to i mean it really yeah. is uh just mm -hmm. that uh i'm gonna i'm gonna say a couple of things um this might be the end of my rants about Bond, and then you can retort if you want. Maybe we'll see what happens. I think this movie looks gorgeous. I already talked about Fukunaga, the director. I love the way his yeah. movies look. I think Skyfall does look real fucking good. Okay, I mean, yeah. Sam Mendes mm -hmm. did do a really great job with that one. Um, I yeah. might like this one more barely, um, but there's more mm -hmm. going on in Skyfall. So yeah. there are more showier moments, right? I think this mm -hmm. looks good across the board and maybe it doesn't have any showy moments to the extent of like, what is it? The casino or whatever in Skyfall, whatever that thing is with all yeah. the lanterns and shit. It's really, really mm -hmm. beautiful if I'm remembering correctly, but either way it's very, very beautiful. Like they're on a boat or something like a little yeah. robo. I don't know. But anyways, it's really beautiful. Um, but this one, this one's really beautiful too. Um, mm -hmm. and then, uh, every time I, uh, I, I, I'm actually a sucker. Again, I'm a sucker for the, the relationship stuff for some reason because I appreciate that level of vulnerability, that level of uh, 
relatability for like I feel like a large percentage of humans that can at least relate to an unrelatable character. But I also yeah. like that they basically turn him into like Michael Corleone, <laughs> where he's just like every time I get out, like they pull me back in. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh-huh. and so I actually am a, a fan of that, even though that does feel kind of overplayed by this fifth movie. But this time, again, back to earned it for me personally. Like I just sure. I liked it the best in this movie. So it was like, mm-hmm. yeah, we've seen it before, and I totally get it full on narrative. A lot of this is yeah. rehash. I just like the way they did it here. And then uh, the last thing I have in my notes is uh, one thing we haven't talked about this yet, and maybe this is what I'll pass off to you. In every Bond movie, there are always, like, every new one, pretty much after Roger Moore, okay? Mm-hmm. So we'll say Pierce Brosnan, Daniel Craig, there are all these nods to the old Bond. The uh, martini shaken, not stirred, which makes no sense. Um, the Aston Martin, the mm-hmm. blah, blah, the tuxedo, the the opening yeah. where he pulls the gun and it bleeds, you know, the whole thing. Sure. That annoys the shit out of me most of the time because it feels so <laughs> phony and phoned in. Uh-huh. And even in the Craig ones, sometimes it's just like, dude, this doesn't even feel like you. You're just saying it because Sean Connery said it or whatever, right? Yeah. But in this movie, I think out of all of the Craig movies, and I'd say anything from Pierce Brosnan on, this movie bothered me the least because, <laughs> because they're self-aware yeah. about it. Yeah. So, for example... Even like uh, like James Bond, there's a point where he walks up to buy like a train ticket, and the guy's looking at him. Mm-hmm. He goes Bond, and he's just like looking around. And the guy's just staring like irritated at him. And he goes, James Bond. You know, he's like he's like <laughs> irritated. Like God, I gotta say that. You know, and but it's almost like this like wink of like yeah, we know. We say this every time. Here's the obligatory yeah. thing. Even James Bond is annoyed by. Like I just, yes. I just actually really like. I laughed at that because I was like, finally, like now you realize this is old hat. Um, or yeah. like he did the martini shake and not stirred, but it wasn't like a line. He just said it. Fuck, yeah, I pre- yeah. I just appreciate that. Like don't yeah, you don't have to yeah. make it like shaken, not stirred. Like you don't have to do that. Just do right. like, just say like martini shaken, not stirred, and like move the fuck on. Now say it cooler yeah. than I just did, but the point is, Daniel Craig will. So he and he mm-hmm. did. So, anyways, there's like a lot of little nods like that that I actually mm-hmm. uh, appreciated. Um, and uh, normally I hate those things in Star Wars mm-hmm. franchise, Marvel, fr- mm-hmm. like any long ongoing franchise that has something mm-hmm. before it. Um, it, Ghostbusters, I don't care. Everyone's going to constantly nod back to the classic, and that just yeah. gets really old to me. Did, did you ha, like, do those ever get to you? Uh, in like the other movies, do you, did they ever bother you, or are you just kind of like, whatever? It's, it's kind of par for the course. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that's kind of what I feel like. I, I generally will give a little chuckle and move on. You know, I'm kind of like, yeah. <laughs> um, sometimes with Bond, they get tiresome. Um, for the reasons that you mentioned, uh, I I do feel like sometimes it's like okay, let's get this out of the way. All right, yeah, everybody can can you know hoot and holler because he said it. But um, yeah, I I did like how it was done. Yeah, in this kind of just like shrug kind of way here, um, and and that's and I think that's and maybe that's part of what kind of bugs me here is that they have that attitude. 
but then they still fall back on some of those older bond conventions too. Not, you know, the, well, at least the, you know, this, this kind of, you know, there's this kind of like, no, we're different, but you know, here are these other plot points and things that we've exact, that we're exactly pulling from. So maybe that in some way that's, you know, and I don't want to overplay that and overblow it, but. Give me an example um, of what you mean by that though. Just a brief well, example. Well, just, well, the, just the, that, that whole thing is there. They, they still do the traditional opening with the bond shooting thing, but then they do it later on as more a wink. Um, the the previous films also, the previous Daniel Craig films also that all of that stuff, kind of without that wink at, at times. Sometimes there's sometimes it's a half wink, you know. Yeah. But it, you know, but there's still times where they do it without the. I don't want to say without irony, but because all of those have irony, I think to an extent. Uh, it, it certainly very quickly turned into that where it's, hey, this is the moment where you're supposed to cheer. But here it was done, you know, as a not not quite a parody, but kind of a like, well, we've got to do it. So here and, <laughs> yeah. the, and the characters even kind of irritated by it. Um, and even just the like I like I mentioned before, the the rehashing the the way they rehash Daniel Craig wants to be gone. But he's also doing this like incredibly glamorous stuff and just jumps back into it that all that kind of stuff. Um, that that's maybe kind of part of where this movie a little bit annoyed, you know, where it gave me a little bit of, of slight eye roll annoyance, not, not a full on. Oh my God, I hate this. It, it's just more of a, oh, well, um, and, and instead of me being a little more excited about sure, it. Sure. Um, but, but again, I think that's, I think that's, you know, down the list to an extent. Uh, it's not something I, I would say I hated. It. It's, it's maybe, maybe, a, a I don't want to, cry hypocrisy too much because it's i think it's a minor point but you know i i think it's a minor point at least worth mentioning sure for me yeah um yeah i think uh yeah they they're trying to be a little different um you know i wow yeah the cry hypocrisy thing is really (laughs) ringing true because i'm about to say yeah it doesn't really bother me that they do that well it's like no it actually normally does but this movie Mm -hmm. for some reason gets a pass and again i think it's just because there's a self-awareness but i agree with you like it is an interesting Mm -hmm. thing to keep doing but they've Mm -hmm. also been doing it for 26 movies for 60 years almost you know what i mean and it's just Uh like well yeah or actually i think the first one was 62 if i'm not mistaken somewhere around there so I mean yeah mm. we're we're pushing 60 years now actually I can mm. I can find out right now because I actually really want to know what was it Dr. No was that the first one I think that was the I first one I believe so yeah So 1962 um and uh, yeah so 60 years later they're still doing all this shit yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'm still not a Bond fan, but man, I'll 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 be damned if I'm not a, a No Time to Die fan. <laughs> Currently, for all you Bond fans, if if I'm not enough of a heretic yet, uh, number two right now until I rewatch Skyfall. Skyfall mm-hmm. may win. I I actually yeah. have better memories in my head of it now mm-hmm. than I did when I saw it originally. So I really yeah. am wondering because I think it's probably a better film. But yeah, will yeah. I like it as much? And that's going to be kind of the the trigger, I guess. Anyways, <laughs> uh, any any last words about uh, Bond and uh, No Time to Die? Any 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 uh, eulogies uh, for the end of the <laughs> Daniel Craig quintology of uh, of uh, Bond movies? Yeah, the, this is yeah the the that I think that's where I want to go with this is that the 
the um the 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 one constant in the bond franchise is this change you know is that we'll you know we'll get used to a certain thing uh you know a certain actor and then it'll change and everybody will be like oh well this next person's not going to be as good as the last one yeah you know and and that happened with daniel craig it happened i mean brosnan was was maybe the one that everyone was like this is the guy who was born to be james bond but but there was still a little you know but because that you know just because it have a long road and and it had been like in the eighties, like during Remington Steel, that era. That was like this dude would be a great James Bond, and he was like, "I'm not doing that." And then, uh, and then, you know, sure enough, later on, and then um, they're like, "Look at all this money," and he's like, "Yeah, and he's yeah. like, okay, where do I sign?" <laughs> yeah, and and it was just it kind of seemed like with him, it was a constant like, "Oh, this is my last, this is my last. One. I'm not doing it anymore," you know. But he kept making them, and I don't know, maybe I was, maybe I'm wrong about that, but. Uh, uh, there, there was just this constant kind of, well, he's not going to be as good as the last one. And th- that'll probably happen with this, with, you know, whatever happens next too. Um, I'm excited to see what happens next because I, I, I do, I enjoy this franchise. I feel like it's, it's not my favorite, you know, I'm not going to be like, you know, if they suddenly stop making James Bond movies, I'd kind of be like, Oh, well, I'm kind of sad, but it's not going to be like, Oh, this is a, you know, like the Marvel cinematic collapse. world of, Right. It's like it's not, the cinematic, you know, landscape isn't irreparably dead because you know, they don't make this for and make another one of these for a while. But, you know, it was, you know, but I but I whenever a new one comes out, I'm like, oh, yeah, that'll be fun to watch. And, you know, I'll enjoy it. And um, that'll be, you know, it'll the, but the next one will come and there'll be someone and there'll be convetching from certain people and everyone else. will just be like, All right, let's see what happens. And then it'll be fun. And we'll be like, yeah, okay, we kind of like this guy, or you know, so. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that, that's kind of like what I feel guy. about it. <laughs> yeah. It's something. It's something more than um, being. Um, <laughs> it's something more than than just than just apathy. You know, like I enjoy them, but I'm not on pins and needles waiting for the next one. Sure, you know? I'm I'm not ambivalent. But I'm not at the same time. I'm not completely excited about everything. Yeah. So let's let's just get to the next one in the, in the next couple of years and, and see what happens. We'll keep having fun with it. Yeah. I honestly, if if anything, I'm glad that that Craig's tenure as uh, Bond is over because that just means they're going to put out a box set, and this would be the first Bond box set that I ever buy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because even though I don't think Quantum of Solace is, uh, I mean, I think that for me, that's the least interesting one. Though, again, narratively, it's important, I think, but it's just like, whatever. Um, and Spectre, I have a lot of fun with and I'm entertained by, but I, it's not great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, again, you talked about missed opportunities with Lamb. Having Christoph uh-huh. Waltz as a Bond villain, um, yeah. like missed opportunity, even though I still love him as Blofeld. You're not yeah. doing enough with him. Like, I only love him because I love Christoph Waltz as a performer. Like, not because the character's awesome. You know what I mean? Um, yes. But, uh, yeah, so, uh, and I think I just saw Spectre for the first time this year, actually, because uh-huh. in preparation okay. for No Time to Die. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, um, I'm just excited about that. I feel kind of cool to be able to say, like, I'm kind of a Bond fan with these, at least with this era but unfortunately, yeah. it's like that's even more of like a Bond heretic thing where it's like true Bond fans are like, yeah, mm-hmm. I like watching these because they're Bond, but they're never going to yeah. be true Bond movies. 
Um, But that's, again, precisely why I like them. (laughs) So so anyways, I really have nothing else uh, in my notes, at least, to add. I could, of course, ramble on and on as no one is surprised by that. (laughs) <laughs> but um, but uh, yeah, I could I could go on and on about No Time to Die. I had I s- did not go into it expecting to like it. Uh, my expectations were I want to have fun, but I don't think I will. Opening yeah. sequence happens. I'm like, okay, I just like that. After the credits, it's gonna fall apart. And there were a few things that were like again not good choices, but they didn't annoy me. And I just had a fucking great time. And I, that's just like a rarity for these types of movies for me. So uh, that's all I have to say about this. Joe gave his piece. If you've seen this and agree or disagree, please hit us up at Medium Cool Pod on Facebook, yeah. Instagram, and Twitter. You can also find uh, me on uh, Letterboxd at Austin Glidden. You can find Joe Shearer on Letterboxd. You can harass him if you want. Um, you can also uh, find me on Instagram and Twitter at Austin Glidden. You can email us at mediumcoolpod at gmail.com. There's all kinds of ways to get a hold of us, and I want to hear what you think of both Lamb and uh, the Bond series at large, but particularly No Time to Die. I'm curious to hear what people think about that. Mm-hmm. Joe, always a pleasure, man. Thank you Absolutely, so much yeah. for like coming on and talking about stuff that you probably don't really care enough about, but you did it anyway. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I loved all this, you know, and I'm, I'm glad you loved this movie, um, you know, even more than I did, um, you know, and, and I'm excited about the, the future of the James Bond franchise because, you know, you have all the time in the world. All right, everybody, that was our show. Man, did I get tongue-tied quite a bit. Thanks for sticking through that. Uh, It's always fun to have Joe on, of course. I'm so glad he could be on with us last week and this week. Uh, Next week, the plan is to have our old friend from F This Movie, JB, come on. And we are going to be looking at the new uh, Guillermo del Toro film, uh, Nightmare Alley. And we're also going to be... not comparing it but we're going to be also looking at the 1947 adaptation of the same book it's uh, an old 1947 noir film noir and uh, jb and i are going to talk about both of those films and kind of look at each of the adaptations starting with the 1947 i'm sure and then we'll talk about the 2021 version and just kind of see you know uh, compare and contrast and see what works in each one and so on and so forth i think it'd be a whole lot of fun Uh, The following week, I'm supposed to be meeting up with Jake, JB's son, funny enough. And uh, Jake and I have been planning for almost a year now. When I first set the calendar for uh, Medium Cool, uh, I did it in like January or February. I did the whole year. Of course, things had to change a lot. But I mean, I wanted to know from the beginning kind of what I could, what uh, something to fall back on. Right. I had like a schedule for the rest of the year. And uh, on the last day, the last Tuesday of this year, 2021, uh, Jake and I had planned on watching Sam Peckinpah's The, uh, oh my God, oh, uh, Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia. And I think it's Sam Peckinpah's birthday or something. I'll have to look into it because I've already forgotten, to be honest. <laughs> I'm not there yet, all right? I'm going a week at a time. But anyways, um, but there, there's some reason we were going to do it. So that's still the plan. Hopefully we can get that worked out and uh, we'll have a good time. I'll probably do some 2021 reviews, uh, just solo stuff prior to Jake and I's conversation, if I had to guess. Because as uh, Joe and I talked about, we've been cramming uh, for this end of the year thing. And, and like last year, we'll probably do our top 10 
um, you know, at the end of January, actually. Just gives us a little extra time and everything. I, I kind of like being the last uh, outlet to do a top 10. But anyways, all that said, I really appreciate you guys listening. I love you all. Thank you so much for tuning in and sticking with us. Uh, for now, I'll just say good night, good luck, and take it easy. <laughs>